I would say the most important, the number one element that I've sort of focused in on through all of these years of success is I embrace change. How can a set of skills lead you down the path to success? That's what we're setting out to answer on the Ed Up Canada podcast. I'm your host, Michael Sangster. Join me as we unpack how leaders around the world have taken training and skills and turned that into a lasting career. Now let's learn together. Hi, it's Michael Sangster, and welcome back to another episode of Ed Up Canada. Let's get together today and talk about career college sector, partnerships, and some of the things that great institutions are doing to train the workforce for the future in Canada. I'm particularly excited today to be joined by Henry Devlin. The reason I'm excited about talking to Henry today is because he's blunt and he's direct, and we're going to know by the end of this half hour exactly what he feels about things. As an introduction, Henry's the first college owner I got to sit down with when I took on this job with the National Association of Career Colleges. And I left shaking my head a little bit because I had got some incredibly blunt, straightforward, great advice on things. But there was also an optimism to it. There was an attitude towards the sector that was encouraging, it was invigorating, and it was challenging for what I was trying to go do for the next couple of years so far. And we've got a long ways to go. So Henry, I want to introduce you, President and CEO of, of Summit 2. And let's start off with what is Summit 2? Well, Michael, thanks, first of all, for having me on. Summit 2, corporation I formed a number of years ago. And within Summit 2, we have a number of school brands. So in Eastern Canada, we have a brand called CBBC Career College, formerly known as Cape Breton Business College. And in Ontario and Western Canada, in our online division, we have Willis College, the oldest private training college in all of the country. So these are the, the two main brands that we have. And we deliver training in you know, the typical areas of business, health, and technology. So what's a typical student look like in one of your institutions? It's a great question. And, and you know, I've been doing this for nearly 40 years. And, and I would have thought maybe 40 years ago that probably changes from year to year, but that's that's not the case. What we typically cater to, when you look at the what I call the three levels uh, post-secondary education, you have individuals that are looking for degree-granting institutions. They have a particular career path that they're looking for, and having a degree is an important piece of that. That's not our audience. Then you have a, a group that is looking for not just an academic development, but maybe some social interaction. I kind of liken it to when my my son wanted to go to college and he said, hey, dad, should I come to some of your colleges? And I said, well, unfortunately, I'd, I'd love to have you there, but unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go to pub nights because they don't exist. And you're not going to be able to socialize with a lot of people because our schools are all about developing skills that are going to get you from the classroom, not to the boardroom, but to the workplace as quickly and efficiently as possible. So who do we cater to? We cater to the individuals that have maybe A, been through some post-secondary education, and maybe it didn't lead them exactly where they thought it was going to go. And now they're getting very serious about, I want to get a job. I want to get out there. I want to get a paycheck. I need to develop skills that are in high demand. And that's usually where 
private training colleges across Canada, our sector can best address that skills development that's going to help them make the transition from where they are right now into the workforce. Sometimes that means individuals that know what they want to do coming straight out of high school. But I would say typically the audience that is attending private training colleges across the country have some post-secondary education. And in some cases, and I'm thinking about within CBBC, some of our medical lab training programs, we have a large number of students that have graduated university with a science degree, but are now looking to add some very hands-on marketable skills to go with that so they can not only get their first job out of college with us, but they can use that degree to advance through their career, their medical career that they're going to pursue. It's early January now. Back in December, I had the pleasure of attending a graduation ceremony in Ottawa. I always find it interesting because as you talked about the audience, the learners that, that attend institutions like yours, they're more mature, a high proportion of female students, uh, very diverse crowds that are attending. And I love going to the graduation ceremonies because you often see kids and grandkids there celebrating someone who's graduating. You won't see that at a lot of institutions. But the one thing you touched on it, I see a lot, is that upskilling, that I need to do one more thing. One of the things I hear college owners talk about all the time is that we teach skills. We don't teach for a job. We teach skills, teamwork, collaboration, the communications, those kinds of things. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your lifelong learning program. The reason I wanted to have you on is that you guys are doing creative things and are very, very good at partnerships. But I want to hear about your lifelong learning program that you guys are promoting right now, because I thought that was really interesting and, and plays well into what you're talking about here about upskilling. So in our lifelong learning program, I think adds real value to a student going through one of our training programs. But it, if, if you're looking at, you know, what was the, the catalyst that kind of kicked off an idea like that? I have to go back nearly 40 years, back into the mid 80s when I was working at a school in Toronto and a student go through a program and he came to me at the end. He had just graduated, just landed a job. He came to me and he said, Henry, I want to thank you for changing my life. And when I heard him say that, I was a little sort of pushed back and I was like, change your life. All we did was develop some skills. But then when I got to talk with him and realize what impact going through our program was having on his life and his family's life, I realized what we do is something very special with students. We get to play a role in their lives. And when someone graduates our program, and, and I'll give the example of, let's say, a, a business course at our school. Business course covers several different areas. Might be some HR, might be some marketing, might be some accounting. And when they graduate, they'll take all of those skills They'll work with an employer, and the employer will hire them on, usually to do one or two of those skills day in, day out with that firm. So let's say they get hired on by a, an HR company, and they're using the skill that they picked up within one of our colleges. And they're very happy, and we've been part of their lives, and we changed their lives, and everything is going tremendously well. And maybe they do that for three or four years. And within that organization, there's opportunities that open up that allow them to maybe grow further with the company. But that skill is not necessarily in HR. Maybe it's in accounting or another area of business, or maybe something has happened with the company and they now find themselves having to market all of the skills that they acquired from us, but it was a few years ago. 
we started the lifelong learning option for our graduates to say, look, if you went through this program, you are part of our family. You are part of an alumni base that we care about forever. And when you need those skills that may have gotten rusty because you were only working in HR, you need those skills to be brushed up and become current and marketable again. That's not going to cost you anything else with our organization. You paid for that tuition once. You're an alumni. You're part of our team. We'll fit you into one of those programs. Now, the real benefit for a student is, let's say you're in an HR program uh, or you went through a business program and you had an HR job for five years. There might be some new software that's come out in accounting. We're not going to give you the software of five years ago. We're going to give you the software of today. So the skills that you're going to pick up will build upon what you had in the past, but ensure that you're relevant and marketable in today's workforce. So that lifelong commitment is really understanding what we do as a school. And it goes back to my statement of the mid-80s. We're really changing someone's life. And if you think about that, it's not just for the one year that they're with us. You need to be a partner with them whenever they need you. That type of relationship that if you build that with an alumni base, your schools will continue to grow because people will trust that it's not just about today. They're really caring about where I'm going to be for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of my career. So let's try and tie it, put a circle around this too then, because one of the great strengths of our sector is that partnership with the employers. So when you talk about, I'll use the word upskilling, but renewing skills as you're talking about there, tell me what it looks like for you, successful partnerships. I can think of one that you've had in, in Ontario with the PSW world, especially in, starting in Ottawa. But I see that when you talk about a 40-year-old relationship with a student, I see that with the employers too, that you're, you're constantly working with them to figure out what they need, what's the latest, what's the greatest. And it leads back into your instructor base too, doesn't it? Yeah. So you've hit upon some really good points there. When you talk about partnerships and where the private colleges can partner or align with organizations and governments across the country, it, staying engaged with your employer base. We are a regulated industry. That means that we're held accountable to certain performances. Our students have to do well, because if they don't do well, it could impact us as a college. And 40 years ago, I would have looked at that and said, well, that's a real liability for us. That's a restriction upon us. But I now look at that regulatory landscape as actually an asset, not a liability. I see it as an empowerment because if we are forced to sort of do that, to step up and ensure that we're looking after the outcome of our graduates, and that's what we're going to be measured against on a regular basis, then we're going to work very, very hard to ensure that our students do well. And when students do well, it's sort of like when you go out to a restaurant and you have a great meal and you leave a positive review because you had a really good experience. When you're taking care of students through that entire life cycle, from when they called you, through all of their training, through their transition into career services, they're going to leave positive reviews. They're going to tell people about you. And when you're talking to employers because you need to link your grad group with employers, you're also hearing from employers what their challenges are. They might say, and I'll use your example, we're looking for 10 PSWs, but we actually have 10 staff that are in non-PSW jobs right now that are looking to make a career change with our organization. Can you help them 
get into a training program with you on a part-time basis or a casual basis or an online basis so they don't have to give up their job, can you do that to help our existing workforce? That's a unique way to partner with employers. And then when you look at government, what you need to do from my experience with government is you have to do two things. You have to figure out where's the challenge, where's the hurt, where's the, the difficulties they're having. You have to then formulate a plan and come to them with A, the explanation of what the challenge or the issue is, and then B, what the solution is. Because sometimes, and I'll give you a perfect example with the PSW. I remember talking to the government in Ontario and they said, we don't have a, enough people as PSWs. We need more PSWs. And I actually said to them, I don't think you have a recruitment issue. I think you have a retention issue. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, your own reports indicate that 55% of the students that graduate out of school that start as a PSW within a year are gone. That's not a recruitment issue. It's a retention issue. So if we can help students as they're going through training, realize what they're getting into and work alongside with employers to make sure they get that experiential component while they're going through training, they're not going to start as a PSW if they found out this is not really for me. The challenge that was going on, and it's what I said to the province, if you let me build this in a particular way, and that's again a benefit to private training colleges, they have the ability to be nimble and quick and modify and adjust to fit what's going on in the marketplace. So we presented an option of how to deliver this program to address what I thought was the biggest issue, not recruitment, retention. We've been able to prove to the provincial government that the 55% that they tracked is now 89% of our graduates that have gone through our training that are now working as new PSWs have been there greater than a year. And what I said to the government after we got that data point in, I said, now start thinking about the quantifiable amount to that percentage. What's the value that all of those care homes have now been able to realize because they haven't had to spend thousands of dollars putting ads out there and onboarding people. So by investing, and this is what the provincial governments have done, by investing in education with PSWs in an experiential type format, you're actually not investing in losing money. You're investing to save money with all of the stakeholders that are involved. And now you're seeing them turn to investing in, in rural communities and keeping those employees longer in that personal support worker field. So we'll see if they're successful in their latest initiatives around getting students to go out for a year or two years into a rural community as well, which is the next step. But uh, it's been a huge success. Let's pivot a little bit here and get personal with you about your own, um, your own skills. You've obviously been very successful in life. You've been successful in business. So what's a skill? Because we like to have everybody leave the audience with one that you think has helped you on lasting success or one that you wish you'd embraced earlier, something that would have helped you derive your career further. This is something that's not really focused on in business school or university or even business programs in colleges. And I'll try to make it very relevant to everyone who is listening today because we've all been through this. I would say the most important, the number one element 
that I've sort of focused in on through all of these years of success is I embrace change. Now, it might sound very simple. Well, I embrace change. What does that mean? So when COVID hits and all of my schools are face-to-face training schools, and I now have four weeks to six weeks to move everything to an online platform, I could have sat back and said, this can't be done. We have to do it the old way. And my businesses would have failed. But I embraced the change. And I moved to the next level. And I moved us to a delivery modality that could fit with what was going on. Too many people get set in a particular way saying, this is my job. These are my duties. This is what I get paid. When things change, the first thing you have to do is say, I embrace whatever it is that has just happened. So when your employer comes to you and says, we're in difficult times, everybody needs to take a 25% pay cut. Rather than immediately responding with, how am I going to get by? This is terrible. Say, I embrace that because it's the right thing for the company. And I want to be part of this team two years, five years, 10 years from now. Because guess what? What an employer will do if they have to scale your compensation back because of difficult times, and you've been one of the members that have embraced that, the moment that company starts doing well, you'll be the first person that gets compensated for embracing what took place. Too many people look at change as a negative. I look at every change that occurs in my life. I don't care. Business-wise, health-wise, I had a health scare about five years ago. And I thought, wow, that's terrible. I don't, You know what? It actually opened up my eyes. And I'll give you a personal example of this thing because I, I think it's important. I had a health scare and I was in a hospital. And I used to talk about our frontline health workers and how when you graduate, you're going to be working in nursing homes and care homes with our elderly residents and individuals across Canada. I was on an elevator going up to get some x-rays done because I was not doing well. And there was an individual on on the elevator with me, and he was in control of my gurney that was moving around the hospital. And he turned to me and he said, you're my president. And I said, pardon? I don't know what you mean by that. And he said, I graduated from your school six months ago. You handed me a diploma. He said, I'm going to take good care of you. And I realized at that moment that our students reach so many different facets of our society. You know, you might think it's just an elderly crowd. Man, I'm not that old. And certainly five years ago, I was a lot younger. And I realized that I'm actually training my students to take care of me. So we play such a critical role in their development. People need to accept when change happens, look for the positive in everything. That opened up the door because I changed some things because of that illness. I changed some things in my personal life that allowed me to move into the next stage of my career and start buying colleges. Great story. It is those simple, simple words. Whatever happens, embrace the change. The best corporate culture I've ever been in was at Telos Communications when I was an executive there. And I can't remember if there was five, but the, the three that stick with me was we embrace change, we initiate opportunity, and we believe in spirited teamwork. And there were things that were driven, but our objectives were built around those every year. And the embracing change one was was a very, very powerful one because we were going through a lot of change in that organization and you had to embrace it. 
and you had to look and we went through strikes and we went through different initiatives that were all about embracing change. And we were, and we were trying to get people to come along. And once they kind of bought into what we were doing, it was amazing. Those two words can be applied though in every facet of someone's life, whether it's in their schooling, their career, when they go shopping at the local grocery store and they're expecting to see a particular item on the shelf that they mix with whatever dinner they normally have. And that item is no longer stocked. It's changed. The supply chain has changed. The resource has changed. Rather than sit there and getting upset, saying it'll never be the same, change that mindset and say, well, what other product can I put in here? And I'm going to now get to experience something a little different. You're going to grow as a person. In everything in our life, if we learn to embrace change, you'd lead a much more fulfilled life. No, I agree. So I'm going to ask you a quick question, then we'll jump off to another topic of interest, I think. But what essential skill do you believe should be included in every college program to better prepare students? When you're building those programs, what do you think is that one thing every student should leave with? So when you think about that, is there one magic pill for every program? That, that's pretty hard to do. But if you think about what is the role of private training colleges across Canada, the secondary role is to train. The first is to help someone transition from where they are now to a new career. You accept people that are qualified. You work with people day in, day out. Why? Because you want to help people move to employment. So I think with that in mind, the one skill that every single student should look for in the college that they're looking to attend, they should ask about it. They should explore it. They should talk to people who are doing it is ensure that you are getting career services, training, and support. Not just about the training. Training is great, but the support. Because if that school that you're going to, and we'll use mine as an example, it's the oldest private training college in Canada. Over 150 years. So you think, with 150 years, we've probably talked to a lot of employers, a lot more than any of my students will have ever spoken to. So why not tap into that network? Why not make sure that the school is going to train me in skills? They're going to develop good career services skills around how do I market myself? How do I handle an interview? But then the final piece is connecting you with employers. And I would say to every single student who is looking at attending any college, any university, ask them what do they do at the back end? Because every, every school is going to more than likely deliver a good curriculum. It's where they focus most of their time. But for students who are listening to this, I would really encourage them to explore what that college or university does for you at the back end, because that's going to be the critical piece to you getting on with the company. Great advice. And I know the connectivity that the colleges have with the employer base. That's so important. And we haven't touched on it, but many of our instructors come from those employers. Part-time instructors will come either having had experience, lifelong experience, or are there to support. Interesting event back in December with Algonquin Career Academy in Ottawa that came out of Algonquin Travel. It was formed because they needed more employees for their own company, which has now become a different college because of that. And there's so many of those stories. 150 years is an incredible one in its own. So let's dive into something that I'm interested in hearing more about. We've been working on it together. Well, let me talk to you a little bit more about what you're doing with veterans, how you're working with veterans. I think that's the important question, though, is how you're working with them. 
and also what the work you're doing with the Canadian Armed Forces, because it touches on so many of the topics today, from government to employers to training to after training experiences. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the things you're doing? So two very good sort of elements to what you've you've just asked there. Number one, Willis College has been working with veterans for hundred year plus. We go back to probably World War One, World War Two, where we had students that were finishing up with the military that were looking to transition into civilian life. What we do, and and we've developed this over a period of time. We understand that not only do those veterans leaving the military need skills to compete in a civilian marketplace, but they also need transitional support. So within our college, Willis, what we have for veterans are those added elements. So when a veteran says, how do I make sure that my VA support and my benefits get activated? Who do I see about finalizing my documentation on my last transfer to a particular location. We support them through that. We sit there and realize that their resume is going to be very different than someone who has worked in a civilian job. So understanding and working with our veterans on, okay, you're not going to be able to say to an employer, I want to come and work at your office and I've driven tanks for the last 30 years. Because the employer is going to say, I, I don't even know what a tank is. How does that relate to here? But if you start understanding that with veterans, you're able to break that down and say, okay, by driving a tank, what transferable skills fit into this job that you're now applying for? So we do an exhaustive amount of work with our veterans on helping them understand how marketable they are in a civilian capacity. We sort of make that transition from military talk to civilian talk. And I think most of our veterans really appreciate that it's not just about academic development. It's about career support. It's about helping them with their transition from military to civilian life with benefits, et cetera. So that's a critical piece of why we've been so successful with veterans. You've also had people on board that understand it. You're not just learning it. You've got people in the building that I've met, two of them specifically, that you can speak to. Yeah, we certainly do. And I, you know, I'll, I'll be careful. They haven't given me permission to, to use their names. But when we have retired senior military brass, when we have retired generals and corporals that are on our team that work with us, they're not trying to figure it out. They have lived through it. And they're able to give us real life experiences of, Henry, they're going to need this type of help. So we have built, and it's part of our MVP program, so our military and veteran partnership program, we have built a systematic approach to assisting veterans through their journey from military to civilian life. Michael, you also mentioned some of the work that we're doing with active Canadian military. It's a little different. So these individuals have a full-time job. So a number of years ago, the Canadian military realized it's got a lot on its plate. It's training it's recruiting people. It's trying to run, you know, the defenses of our of our country, and it's trying to support a, a global marketplace and all the challenges that exist there. But they also realized there needed to be additional training that goes on and newer technology training like cyber. So a number of years ago, they put out a proposal to say, what school would like to stand up 
and take on this challenge. Um, I felt Willis College was well prepared because of the number of years that we had been training cyber operators and analysts for the Ottawa and National Capital Region. I felt we were well prepared to compete on that proposal. So together with our partner at KPMG, we put in a very competitive bid, and we were very fortunate that the Canadian military selected KPMG and Willis to deliver training to active military. So today, of all of the schools, universities, public colleges, private colleges, we are very proud to say that Willis College is the only academic institution in all of Canada currently authorized to deliver cyber operations education to active military. It leads to my next question in a backhanded way, but I love telling that story. I love telling the fact that people will make a comment about career colleges and strip malls. Sure. And shopping centers, like it's a bad thing. And I, we can see each other today. I can see Henry smiling because he knows that Willis College that I've been to is in a shopping center in Ottawa. Right. And when I first showed up to look at it, I thought, this is interesting. Why are we here? And then I looked around and saw the train, the buses, the parking, the food court, and the people who are working that are probably attending the college as well, but also working inside that shopping center. Yeah. So I love telling the story about the the myth of the fact that career colleges can't do as well as a community college or a university because you're doing it and you're doing it better yeah. when it comes to training the military for those operations. So tell me about the myth that about our sector that frustrates you the most. Well, and again, I have a, a unique perspective because I've worked in this sector for nearly 40 years now. And I would have said 30, 40 years ago, truly we were looked upon as a different level of education now, I would say that we have reached a stage where we are complementary to everything else that is out there. And, you know, I started off with our conversation here today, and I talked about students that are looking for degrees, students that are looking for two- and three-year programs that have that social aspect to it also, and then our colleges that are, that are more skill-based and sort of move you in a, in a very efficient fashion from schooling to employment, usually in about a year or less, each one of those levels allow us to have an education system in this country that can address everyone's needs. If all of a sudden there were no private training colleges, there would be thousands and thousands of students that couldn't find the education they're looking for. And if, on the other hand, all we had was private training colleges across the country, we wouldn't be able to cater to all the programs that are out there. We wouldn't be able to cater to the degree-granting institutions that are preparing the leaders of our country for the next 20 years. So I really think that collectively, we now have a landscape of education that everybody plays a role in. So I feel certainly today far more comfortable being in this sector than I did 30, 40 years ago. I think the regulatory landscape in which private training colleges live in keep everyone on the straight and narrow. If you're not helping students get jobs, eventually the government will say you cannot operate as a school. 
So we have accountability. You know, we do not at the beginning of every year turn to government and say, can you transfer money to us to operate? The reason we charge the tuition we charge is because those are the funds that we take in to run our operations, to pay for our teachers, to do our advertising, to facilitate the education, to build our classrooms out, all of the labs, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what you're finding, though, is even at the public college level, the amount of resource dollars that the provinces can now pay public colleges is getting less and less each year. It's getting harder and harder for public colleges to operate the way they want to operate. That's why you're going to see more and more unique partnerships that align private colleges and public colleges and universities working collectively. You know, imagine a day where someone could spend one year at a private college, one year at a public college, and then finish off their degree at a university. And what do we get at the end of it? We get an individual that has been able to experience all of those landscapes and really is a more marketable, more knowledgeable individual that had they only gone to one individual facility. I agree. And, and I think it'll happen in, in Newfoundland and Labrador first because I've, I've spent a lot of time there in the way that because of the size of the sector and the way the college, career colleges, the community colleges, the universities work together. I think they'll do that. I think they'll find that pathway and it'll be awesome. Maybe you'll see that in, in Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, where you work as well, where there's that ability. And I got to comment quickly, like one of the things I don't get from our 550 members, I don't get a lot of complaints about regulation. The only thing they want is consistency of regulation from government. But I don't get complaints about the level of regulation. They like just to know what it is and they'll go meet it. They'll hit that bar and they want that bar to be there for them because it helps get acceptance for the sector, which is so crucial. So you'd kind of touched on it, but I was going to ask you about that great graduate or that great mentor in your life. You mentioned a graduate earlier who was pushing the gurney. Tell me about a mentor, but we'll finish up on this. That individual that, that set your career path. It, as I meet with college students, especially, we have those conversations about someone who's changed their life and it might be their best friend who convinced them to enroll too. It doesn't have to be someone older. You know, it's interesting. When, when you talk about mentors and individuals that have come across my path, I know a large number of school owners and I've worked for several different companies throughout my career, certainly prior to, to Summit 2. And I currently employ about 300 individuals. And as much as those individuals work for me, I'm also inspired by them and their level of commitment that they make to the organization. I'll sort of reverse this a little bit because usually people look towards mentors as individuals they've worked underneath and they've inspired them and they give them. And, and there's been lots of school owners through the years that have done that. But I've got one staff member right now in Nova Scotia. And five years ago, she came across my desk and she was retired. And she was hearing that we were going to launch a new program, a medical lab assistant program. And it was going to be a small little pilot for the province. We were only going to train eight students. And I looked at her resume and her background and I said, I think you would be a perfect individual to lead the class, to help build the program, and to really put us on the map as a quality trainer of medical lab assistants. So I'm going to use her first name. I won't use her last name. But Rosemary took up that charge and she said, Henry, I, I want to do this. I will give you five years 
and I want to build this program. Well, I'll move the forward or the story forward as quickly as I can here. It's been now five years. Rosemary is retiring next Friday. She doesn't know this, but I'm getting a letter from the premier that is basically thanking her because what she has been able to do, our school in Nova Scotia for that program is the only school in Nova Scotia, public, private, doesn't matter. The only school in Nova Scotia that is authorized by the Nova Scotia Health Authority to deliver the medical lab assistant training. We did a pilot of nine students. They love the results. And every year they have moved that level up. Our campus right now is either number one or number two nationally every year in our student exam results. Those are national exam results that we don't control. Students write it. There's a national board that reviews them and then posts the results. That's a direct reflection upon what Rosemary has done with that program, her commitment to the students, her commitment to her craft, and her commitment to that career. So when I look at who inspires me, when I see a staff member take something that is really just a small little seed in the ground and turn it into this mighty oak tree that we now have, Rosemary inspires me. So I don't always look above me. I look around me. I look within me. I can pick up inspiration from all of those people. I love that. I, I was speaking at this graduation ceremony recently, and I, I used the Walt Whitman quote, which Ted Lasso's taken, but has been I've used for years about be curious, not judgmental. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke to the students about that and encouraged them all to be mentors to each other, to be mentors to somebody who's not in the room yet. And we're trying to balance this podcast and have conversations about those personal stories too. So I thank you for taking the time today. I will also add that that I believe loyalty comes from great leadership. And I'm fortunate to have a board member on my board that comes from your organization, but I've also gotten to know a lot of the people in your organization. And leadership does matter. And your leadership in the sector and in your college is obviously being rewarded with loyalty from people that will run through a brick wall for you. And you're fortunate to have some of those people. And I know that because you tell me you are. And that's part of the loyalty. So thank you today, Henry, the president and CEO of, of Summit 2. For those of you who haven't had a chance to take a look at, it's the Cape Breton Business College now. CBBC. The career College yeah. now. CBCC. There's a story there that one of your employees will chuckle about with a car wash uh, when they hear the podcast, but also Willis College across Canada. You're doing amazing stuff. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again in the new year here. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Michael, my pleasure. And I hope this adds some value to the people who are listening. And again, we, we get to change students' lives. It's a pretty powerful career that all of us get to participate in. Well put. And that's watching all of you work is why I become so passionate about it. So with that, thank you for joining the Ed Up Canada podcast. I look forward to listening to you, hearing from you again in the near future, Henry, but also letting people hear from other leaders in our sector, business leaders and government leaders as we as we launch into the new year. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ed Up Canada podcast. We release new episodes regularly, so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you know when they are officially out. If you love this episode, please leave a four or five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast so that others can also discover how a set of skills can lead to success. Thanks for learning with us.